A few weeks ago, I shared some thoughts on forgiveness, um, how God's forgiveness works and how he calls us to be willing to forgive others as well. Um, in fact, um, forgiveness is tied in so beautifully and directly with the great themes of salvation. And throughout, especially the, the New Testament, we hear a lot about grace and about mercy and forgiveness. And they're all tied together so tightly. Um, and it's, we, we have hope because of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness because without it, uh, we are hopelessly lost. The last time we, we spoke on the topic, we talked about a little bit about what forgiveness is and what it is not and what it truly means. And I uh, wanted to review just a, a, a little part of that. The uh, word to forgive um, originally meant, well, it's in two parts for and give, and, and it's not the preposition for. Um, it's um, That for was, a, was an old English word, which meant away. And then, of course, the second part, to give. And so literally, to forgive meant to put away, to give away, to give up completely something. Um, and even in the Hebrew... Um, there was uh, a, a particular word which was used, kalash, which was for divine forgiveness. And then there was another word for human forgiveness, between human beings, between people. Um, and one of the meanings also is, even in the Greek, was to, to give up a debt. And those are all very helpful in in our understanding the uh, many people have misunderstandings about what uh, forgiveness really means. Some people think well, if I forgive somebody that means i i'm I'm okay with what they did. I approve it not at all. It does not mean approval it does does not mean you know that's okay don't worry um it means that we choose to give up our resentment or our anger or our hurt feelings. Let the Lord carry that burden uh, instead of our trying to carry it. And because God forgave us, we have the privilege of forgiving others as well. It's obvious that the, this, this attribute of God, forgiveness, is a divine forgiveness. Um, forgiveness doesn't come naturally in our broken world, you may have noticed. Uh, usually it's uh, payback time. I remember hearing somebody say that the, uh, the other version of the golden rule was to do it to them before they had a chance to do it to you. But that's not according to the Bible. Uh, that's not the Bible at all, because God asks us to treat others as we would wish to be treated. And we also talked about the fact that 
Um, God has some, you might say, limitations on forgiveness. Um, The good news is that God is willing to forgive. In fact, Jesus himself said, all manner of sin shall be forgiven men, except the sin against the Holy Spirit. Of course, he's the one that makes that possible, the avenue of forgiveness from Christ to us. Uh, But he said, all manner of sin shall be forgiven. And when you think about that, those words, Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, that covers all. That covers all sins. Uh, and some of them are very, very terrible as in, in our world. There have been horrific uh, events throughout history which are absolutely unimaginable. And to us, it would seem like some things ought to be completely unforgivable. But God is willing to offer forgiveness to anyone who will receive it. But then, in Matthew, in in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, right in the middle of the prayer, Jesus said something about, and forgive us our debts. As human beings, we like that part. Then the next part is, as we forgive our debtors. That's the part we, as human beings, tend to have more trouble with. And I thought, Lord, why couldn't you just keep it real simple? Just tell us about the forgiveness part. But this only works when we are willing to share what he has given to us, to share that spirit of forgiveness uh, with others. In fact, it goes on in chapter 6 there in verse 14 and 15, and Jesus is, is giving a commentary on that comment, which apparently even to the disciples was the most uh, troubling part. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So it would seem that as God offers us forgiveness, and we say, Thank you, Lord. But if we don't, by his grace, choose to pass on that spirit of forgiveness, the Lord's going to take the forgiveness back. You remember the story of the parable of, of the man who was forgiven a, a debt. He'd been given, forgiven a great, gigantic, you know, multi-billion dollar debt. And then he goes out and says to his neighbor, hey, you owe me you know, 100 pennies, and I'm going to throw you in prison unless you pay every penny. And uh, so he got reported, and the master said, here, I forgave you, but you, re- you refused to give, forgive someone else who owed so much less. And the master took back that, <laughs> that forgiveness of the debt. Um, but the spirit of forgiveness is a gift. And I wanted to share a few Uh, stories with you today which illustrate uh, how God works in our lives and how he leads people to be willing to forgive. Uh, Many of you, of course, have read this story, The Hiding Place, about Corrie ten Boom, who her family and she and her sister helped hide Jews during World War II and and, and get them to safety. Of course, eventually, uh, she ended up in prison, concentration camp, along with her sister, 
and conditions were terrible, very terrible. Um, and uh, eventually her, her sister died in the concentration camp, probably from starvation and ill treatment and just the terrible conditions that were there. Um, and that was extremely, extremely difficult experience because here she was trying to do the work of God and saving others, and look what happens. Years later, she began her outreach ministry all around the world, and um, marvelous outreach ministry. Um, she was speaking, I guess, back in, in Europe somewhere, and uh, at the end of her presentation, a man walked up to her, who she recognized as the guard who was in that prison, whose ill-treatment contributed to her sister's death. And he was tears in his eyes and said, please, please forgive me. And she said she had a battle. She didn't, humanly speaking, did not want to forgive because he had contributed to the, you know, along with all the others, guards to the death of her sister and so many others. But she prayed a quick prayer. We talked about in Sabbath school about it's okay to pray a very quick prayer. And, and the Lord gave her the grace and mercy and the love in her heart to forgive him as Christ had forgiven her. With another situation I was acquainted with involving some dear friends of, of ours and... Um, Many years ago, this, this lady's husband um, ran away, basically. Uh, and it was very sad because he was very talented, um, had done a lot of church work. In fact, at the time, he was pastoring. Uh, and he was basically seduced by a doctor's wife. And so they ran off for a while. And then she came home to where she belonged. And eventually he came to himself like the prodigal son and realized the tragedy of what he had done uh, sinning against God and, and, and heaven and, and his family. And he asked for forgiveness to be able to come home his wife, according to the Bible, you know, could have chosen uh, not to not to uh, receive him back because he definitely she had biblical grounds to to uh, end the marriage, but she chose to receive him back. And we, I talked to her about this. Uh, even her kids weren't too happy about her decision, but uh, she said, "I'm not." saying this is what anybody else has to do. She says, but God put that on my heart to take him back. And um, right after he'd come back, he, he wanted to uh, talk to me because we'd known each other for many years, worked together. And I got a call one day and, and um, years ago, and, and my first wife, Nancy, said, Jim wants to talk to you. I said, I don't want to talk to him. I said, he, he you know, ruined his life, ruined the church, you know, hurt the church, you know, hurt his family. Just, it's really it's tragic. 
And I said, I'm, I'm still upset about what he did. Oh, no, 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 no. You've got to talk to him. It's different this time. I said, okay. And I talked to him. And uh, I realized within less than a minute, here was a man who'd been born again. Terribly sorry for what had happened. Truly ashamed of what had happened. And wanting to, to live the rest of his life in harmony with God's word. And uh, shortly thereafter, he had a series of strokes and um, passed away. A few years later, the wife, his wife, who had been so ill-treated, had gone back to that area uh, where, I guess, the original church was, where the problem occurred, and saw a lady... (laughs) walking toward her and it was that doctor's wife and she walked up to her and said will you forgive me will you forgive me for what I did to your family and our friend Judy so beautifully said as she gave her a hug she said I forgave you a long time ago that is divine Forgiveness. That is a divine quality that only comes from above. We can't manufacture that ourselves. I can't manufacture it. I can't pretend, you know. Uh, we sometimes say to our kids, well, go ahead and say you're sorry. Well, I guess that's a training exercise, but I don't know that it changes anything uh, other than practice. But in real life, that really doesn't work very well. But we saw firsthand uh, forgiveness, God's forgiveness in action and being shared uh, with others. Another story I've just uh, heard, I'm talking to my um, other sister in Tennessee uh, yesterday, I guess it was, and um, she was telling me um, about a something, or maybe it might have been another friend, I've forgotten where, who told me, but I guess it's some recent story that was on the Internet. And it was a true story about a black man who had been arrested for drug possession, drug dealing. and But as it turned out, and he spent several years in prison until it was discovered that the white policeman, well, those are... You know, hard things to say in our caustic climate that we live in today. This white policeman, for some reason, had a quota for how many people he was, you know, going to catch on drug deals. And he decided, this is the time, we're going to make it happen. And he planted the drugs on the fellow when he didn't know it, and then, of course, arrested him. And um, some time passed, but eventually the truth came out. The truth came out is what happened. The black man was released from prison because obviously he was he was innocent. And the um, policeman lost his job, and I don't know what else happened, but uh, things became very difficult um, for that uh, policeman who had, who had wronged the other, the, the gentleman. But what was so amazing in the story that over time the, the black gentleman was able to kind of get his life back together after having been in you know, prison wrongfully, started a restaurant and was 
succeeding, getting along fairly well. And one day he, somebody came in looking for a job. Guess who it was? That policeman. And amazingly, that man said, okay, okay, you know, I forgive you. Uh, let's work together. Let's, let's become friends. And they actually, over time, became close friends. That only happens through the power of God. There's no other way. Because we know in our world, it's usually revenge and retribution. Um, amazing story. Another um, story that uh, some of you may have heard, it was it happened many, many years ago. Um, and that was uh, the story of Harry, Harry Orchard. Um, this was around the turn of the previous uh, century. Um, he, uh, he uh, this was, would have been in the late 1800s, early, early 1900s. Um, this fellow had a lot of, a lot of problems to begin with, uh, apparently in life. Uh, he, uh, he was, among other things, he was a bigamist, but that was one of his lesser problems. Um, he started working for one of the big uh, miners' unions, and uh, found a job that would pay very well. He became a hitman for their mob. And um, he participated in the blowing up of the uh, Bunker Hill and Sullivan Mill concentrator in, in Wardner, Idaho. In 1904, he helped bomb the train depot in Independence, Colorado. The second bombing killed at least 13 people, injured 24 others. And actually, the estimates of the total number um, of people that he murdered were not sure, and they lost track, but somewhere between 17 and 26. He unsuccessfully attempted to kill the governor of Colorado. Two Supreme Court justices attempted, uh, an adjunct general of Colorado and the president of the mining company. Uh, then he was given another assignment, and that was to uh, kill Frank Steuenberg, who was the former governor of Idaho. Uh, because when that man was governor, he had called in the federal troops to quell one of these labor disputes, riots, um, and, and the union uh, bosses never, never forgave him. So they hired Harry Orchard to, uh, to do the job. Um, he tried four times. The three first three times failed. The fourth time, 1905, December 30, uh, he was successful. He was finally arrested. Um, and uh, in his cell, he finally started having time to think which he should have done a lot earlier in life. And he actually wondered whether God could forgive him. He'd heard about a God who forgives, but he wondered, could God forgive him for the terrible things that he had done? And he decided that God might forgive him, but only if he was willing to tell the truth about his life and confess to everything that he had done. And um, so he uh, he did. They... they um, he confessed to the 
to the detectives, made an official legal statement of what had what had happened, and um, the uh, he was uh, given a Bible, and uh, he started he started studying, started reading. Um, in fact, apparently the uh, Bible that he was given to read was given by the founder of the Hinsdale Sanitarium. So you see the connection there. Um, so he soon, he soon uh, you know, was studying and even studying with, I guess, a cellmate. And uh, he studied about the Sabbath, Harry Orchard did. And um, he began Bible studies with someone who was called Leroy Froome. Uh, very famous in Adventist history uh, as an outstanding speaker and writer. And uh, so he became, Orchard was asked to be the star witness against uh, the people who had hired him to, to do all these uh, hits, these, these murders. And um, so he did. He was, he was willing to tell the truth. And he assumed that, um, you know, probably they, he wouldn't live very long even inside the prison. Um, but he continued. He said he wanted to make it right. He wanted to tell the truth. He wanted also, by his confession, to hopefully save other lives. So other people who were actually on the hit list, scheduled to be assassinated, that that wouldn't happen because of what he was telling the courts and the authorities, and indeed it did uh, save uh, many lives. By, but then he was sentenced to, uh, to die. Eventually his, his sentence was commuted to life in prison. Um, but just following his sentencing, uh, the former governor, that is uh, the one who had been assassinated, uh, Mr. Steuernberg came to see him. The son came to see him. He gave Harry Orchard a package that contained several pamphlets, including a little book called Steps to Christ. And um, then also a message from his mother, the wife of the man he had murdered. And she urged her husband's now-convicted killer to read the tracts, give his life fully to Christ. And, of course, she and her children actually were Seventh-day Adventists. And these actions, of course, moved him greatly. She said, wow, to think that she would be willing to forgive him um, after what he had done to her husband, uh, to the family. Um, he was deeply, deeply moved. And... Uh, apparently, this former governor, Steuernberg... Uh, had attended uh, church with his wife, um, didn't actually become a member of any church, but um, he was very open to the fact that the wife became a Seventh-day Adventist, and he welcomed the Adventist pastors into his home. And the Sabbath that he was killed, just a few hours earlier, he was killed that evening, that morning, um, he announced to his wife and the family, he says, I'm not going to work anymore on the Sabbath. So he's in the process of giving his heart completely to God. 
And, of course, he, he was uh, assassinated that evening. But um, we don't understand why God allows certain things to happen, but then the entire history of the world has been one tragedy after another. Um, but nevertheless, God uses circumstances, the tragedies of this world, to call us to repentance, to wake people up, and through these difficult times, these tragedies, um, he is able to bring good. Now, a lot of this good we'll never know about until we, by his grace, get to heaven. We'll find out the rest of the story, as those of you old enough to remember Paul Harvey in the news. Um, um, we'll learn the rest of the story. Why did, you know, we can ask the question, why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? You know, why did you let my, you know, sister get sick or wife or husband or somebody else die? Or why would they, you know, sick for the rest of their lives uh, and in pain? You know, why do these terrible things happen? And we have no answers. We don't have the answers to the why thing down here. Once in a while, we'll get a little tiny glimpse of how God is working uh, through history. And but many of the specific why questions we don't have answers, but we know who holds the future, as that beautiful song states. Um, also, back in 1994, I know many of you remember the tragedy of Rwanda and the genocide uh, against the uh, Tutsi Watutsi tribe by the Hutus. And it was an incredible, incredible tragedy. I mean, literally, uh, three-fourths of the Watutsi tribe in that country were murdered within 100 days. It was an unbelievable tragedy. Um, unfortunately, it didn't. the murderers did not only include non-church members. They were, sadly, it's had to say, those who claimed to be church members who participated uh, in, in that genocide. The challenge began, began later as those who had fled, who actually survived, and fled in later years after things had settled down and, and it was all over, they came back to try to minister to those people in that country. Um, and so many amazing stories of forgiveness, which can only come from God, that happened. In fact, one, one person writing who went back to help out, and um, her family had been murdered. She went back to, uh, to speak uh, at a series of uh, evangelism meetings, and... Um, she said, my first sermon was on a Friday night. I was setting up the equipment. And my perfectly functional laptop and a projector refused to start. So that happens in other places too. Anxiously, I flipped through my Bible, hoping to find a passage to expound on and preach. Then the lights went out. Standing there in front of hundreds of people, all that could come to my mind was the love of God and his ability to cleanse us from all sin. As I continued to speak, my heart was stirred and 
For once I truly longed for them to understand God's love. That night in my bed, I was amazed at the sense of peace flowing through me. I felt surprised to discover that a love had begun to grow in my heart for the people at that meeting, even for those of that group who had hunted down and murdered my family. I bowed on my knees and begged God to change my heart. I pleaded with him to allow me to see people as he saw them and give me the ability to radiate love. On Saturday night, as I was packing up, an older gentleman came up to me, visibly nervous. I motioned for him to sit down. Instead, he knelt down. Forgive me, forgive me, he said. I've never felt so many emotions all at once before. Overwhelmed, I knelt in front of him. Anger, sadness, deep pain, strong, but then a strong divine love filled my heart, and I longed for him the joy of salvation, despite the terrible crimes of his past. I longed for him to know that 2,000 years before he had sinned, Christ had been crucified on Calvary, that this person might have a chance on Judgment Day. I reached out my hand and held his in mine. With all sincerity, I told him that I forgave him, not because I was a good person, but because I had also been forgiven by Christ. About three years ago, they had an incredible series of evangelistic meetings in Rwanda. And they baptized over 100,000 people. Uh, I believe this was an outworking of that earlier tragedy, that as those people realized in that country, we can never let this happen again. We need something better, far better than what they had experienced in tribalism before. And God used the, that old tragedy to, to win hearts for his kingdom. And now in Rwanda, in a country of about 12 million people, uh, we have almost 800,000 members. That's one in every 17. An amazing, amazing number that that could happen there. But amazing evidence of what the forgiveness of God will do, and it is a divine gift. We don't have it naturally. But we can ask for it. We can receive it. And God will answer our prayer. And even in situations where we say, oh, I don't want to, we can tell the Lord about that too, because he already knows. Um, And say, Lord, if you want me to forgive this person, then you're going to have to put that forgiveness in my heart because I don't have it naturally. And the Lord will give us that gift. In troublous times, as there have been in the past so often, certainly in Rwanda, and in troublous times today, um, we can look to the Lord for his grace and mercy and forgiveness so we can have hope. One of the aspects of forgiveness is learning, I think it was mentioned earlier and maybe in Sabbath school, of being able to forgive ourselves, uh, realizing the Lord has forgiven us if we have asked and Um, chosen to follow him. And perhaps another way of looking at forgiveness is when tragedies happen, we only have two choices. Either 
in our sorrow we trust God or we become angry and hate God for what has happened. So in a sense, we are called to forgive God. Not that he's done anything wrong, but really asking him for forgiveness on our heart for the things that we don't understand that, are, that hurt so terribly and the losses and the tragedies and the sorrows of life that we need that healing every day and every moment. And then to be able to give thanks to God for whatever mercies we have and certainly for his marvelous and gracious salvation. I wanted Beverly to share a story about another time in history when things were very, very difficult. Martin walked quietly down the filthy side street that led to his house, distracted only briefly by a hungry mob fighting over the body of a scrawny and very dead cat. He knew them all. He administered to them, buried their children, and fed them with what he could spare from his meager rations. Today, though, Martin carried nothing but an idea, a poem that had come to him as he conducted one of the ten funerals he'd performed that day. He needed to write the poem down before it left his mind. Opening his front door, he rushed to his small desk and picked up a goose quill pen. Dipping his pen into the well, Martin's mind wandered over the events of the past year as the tip slowly filled with iron gall ink. He could see their faces. He could hear their cries of anguish. The weeping parents bearing their only child. The grieving young widow, sick herself with only days to live. They were almost too numerous to count. But as the town's only living minister and one of just three surviving members of the town council, it was his job to count. In that year alone, he'd buried over 4,000 souls, their lives cut down by the Black Plague. But this was just the latest uh, pestilence. German pastor Martin Rinkhart served as the archdeacon of the walled town of Eilenburg in Saxony, which is in Germany, during the horrors of the Thirty Years' War. That was 30, from 1618 to 1648. Eilenburg became an overcrowded refuge for the surrounding areas. The fugitives suffered from epidemics, the Black Plague, and famine. At the beginning of 1637, the year of the Great Pestilence, there were four ministers in the town, but one abandoned his post for healthier areas and could not be persuaded to return. He officiated at the funerals of the other two. As the only pastor left, he often conducted funeral services for as many as 40 to 50 persons a day, some 4,480 in all. In May of that year, his own wife died. By the end of the year, the refugees had to be buried in trenches without services. In the face of overwhelming pressure, constant risk, and horrendous conditions, he never stopped ministering to the people of his city. He gave away nearly everything he owned to the poor and needy, though he could barely clothe and feed his own children. He mortgaged his own future income to provide for his family and his community. At one point during the, toward the end of the war, the Swedish army surrounded the city and demanded an enormous ransom from an impoverished and starving citizenry. 
Knowing his people didn't have the money, Rinkhart pleaded with the Swedes to lower the amount, only to be rejected. It is reported that Rinkhart returned to the city, fell on his knees, and said, Come, my children, we can find no hearing, no mercy with men. Let us take refuge with God. He then began to pray so fervently that the Swedish general was moved to lower his price to less than 5% of the original sum. After nearly 30 years of ceaseless struggles, it began to look like peace was within grasp. Wanting to give his children a song to sing to God in thanks at the dinner table, Rinkert sat down and composed what would be one of the most well-known Thanksgiving hymns of all time. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Amen. It has often been said that if we should be tempted to feel sorry for ourselves, we probably can find somebody else worse off than we are. And uh, perhaps by encouraging them and helping them, if it's possible, uh, we ourselves are blessed. In fact, um, one of the best benefits of the spirit of forgiveness are the benefits and blessings that come to the one who forgives. Even perhaps more than, than to the one receiving the forgiveness, as important as that is, but uh, they have found that the spirit of forgiveness is a healing balm, you might say, a, a healing gift. And when people let go, uh, choose to let go by God's grace of, of, of resentment, anger, hatred, um, whatever it, it may be that is burning a hole in their, in their soul, uh, God can then begin the healing process. And only we, he can take away these sorrows, these hurts, these, uh, this anguish, um, the irritations of life. And in the promise that he's given us there in, in, in John, I believe First John chapter 1, says that he, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's all sin. Everything that we surrender to him he will cleanse. He will, he will take away even the sorrow and the hurts uh, that tear us up emotionally. He can bring healing and courage. And as the story, the last story, so beautifully illustrated, that even during chaos, and according to the Bible, there is a great time of trouble coming, which we will see with our own eyes. And only by his grace can we go through that and at the end be able to rejoice and praise God for his work on our behalf, for his promises, and for his coming. We serve a glorious Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at the way you work on our human hearts. We're so thankful for your promises for your power to redeem, to rescue to the uttermost, to save, 
to restore, to heal, to replace uh, the hurts, sorrow, anger in our hearts with your love, your trust, and then to make us vessels of encouragement and hope and blessing for others. Surely, Lord, your salvation is indeed the greatest miracle of all. We thank you and praise you. And Lord, forgive us when we have failed you and teach us moment by moment and day by day to follow your leading and to shine and live for Jesus. In his name we ask, amen.